0: Pivot with Purpose, a podcast that highlights the unique stories of professionals that pivoted their careers to align with their work lives and personal lives more purposefully and with more joy. Pivot with Purpose is hosted by Megan Hull, a globally accredited career and business coach and creator of the Megan Hull Method.
1: Welcome back to the Pivot with Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Megan Houle. And in this episode, we talk to Graham Wetzbarger, founder and CEO of Luxury Appraisals and Authentication.
0: Thank you for listening to Pivot with Purpose with host, Megan Houle. You can find out more information about each guest, including full transcripts at pivotwithpurposepodcast.com. And if you'd like to share your own Pivot with Purpose, click on the share button and add your story to the conversation. Finally, be sure to subscribe and share your comments wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Your support amplifies our voice. And now, this week's episode Graham has
1: appraised and authenticated over $200 million worth of luxury goods. His authentication expertise grew from his education in fashion design and art history. Graham has pioneered in the online resale landscape helping to grow the real, real into a billion dollar business. His thirst for knowledge has taken him around the world, studying at some of the best institutions, including GIA, Christie's, Fordham Law Schools, London College of Fashion, NYU, and FIT. Graham Wetsbarger, welcome to the Pivot with Purpose podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
1: I cannot wait to dive into our conversation. And as I introduce you into the podcast, First and foremost, you have such an incredible background and history in the luxury authentication world. And I have to say this, and it's a bit tongue in cheek, but I feel like 100% true. I bet you can totally spot a fake from a mile away, right? That's your superpower, isn't it? I know. I mean,
2: a mile would definitely be a superpower, but from across the street or across the terminal at the airport, for sure. You're like, I see it. I
1: see it. Oh, my gosh. Well, to get started, too, I'd love to ease into the conversation and talk about some fun facts in regards to our guests. So what's another fun fact about Graham you can share with our listeners about yourself before we dive into career pivots? Any other hidden talents that you have you want to share? (coughs)
2: uh, is shopping a it's talent? A
1: PG show, so yeah, <laughs> shopping is a talent.
2: <laughs> um, I collect a lot of stuff. Uh. I'm sitting in my office, which also doubles as my shoe closet, Ooh. and I think there's like 65 pairs of designer shoes in here. I also collect coffee table books, mainly on fashion. Ooh. I think I have over 150 in my study, That's and then I awesome. collect Fornicetti and George Jensen, so... It makes my house look nice. Yeah. As soon as I discover something, I just kind of like latch onto it and then dive, and dig into it. And then, like, six months later, I'm onto something else. So, right, I have like a lot of head. collections. So let me put it um, that way.
1: I love it. Well, that's so awesome. I love coffee table books. I definitely own a few. I don't have a big space, so I get yelled at when I start buying more things.
2: You can start making them into like end tables and things. Yeah. You, just keep stacking you build them up furniture. You furniture. Exactly. It's great.
1: <laughs> Welcome to my house. Sit on this chair of books. I mean, exactly. it's so it's luxurious, people. Yeah. Come on. I know we don't have all the time in the world here for the listeners but as someone who spent a good part of my career in luxury leather goods while working at louis vuitton i can tell you so many stories where i had a client that brought in a bag that they bought online and i had to tell them unfortunately it was not real and people would literally try to fight me and i'm sure i've ruined a lot of new relationships somehow (laughs) with the boyfriends and girlfriends coming in and having to say i'm sorry unfortunately this bag is not real So we all know there's a certain way you can confirm for each brand, which we are locking in our vault. But I'm so interested to hear what truly catapulted you into the luxury authentication business. Why this path? Like, tell us a little bit about your story there.
2: Yep, sure. So growing up, I always kind of shopped vintage, shopped resale, shopped on the internet. And authentication was always like a mystery. Like I would go to Vuitton and ask them. In college, I went to college of Brooklyn and spent a lot of time, on or around Canal Street, and that is such an amazing microcosm of counterfeit culture. Mm-hmm. And friends would come into town. It's like, oh, I want to get a Kate Spade knockoff, and watching them just like glue the stickers to the front of the bag. You mm-hmm. want Prada? You want Gucci? You want this? So that <laughs> like, that, that stuck it's a with me. drive
1: through McDonald's, like what? Totally. You <laughs> yeah. What flavor do you want? Yeah.
2: And then. I went to school for fashion design and art history because I thought I wanted to be a fashion designer and design like evening gowns. And mm-hmm. th- There's not a ton of that uh, mm-hmm. in New York, in the States, in uh, <laughs> the early to mid 2000s when Paris Hilton was the epitome of style. I know, I know, and she's coming back, mm-hmm. but- And
1: so are like juicy track suits, we're sorry. Right, I right. Know. So
2: uh, I wanted ball gowns, America wanted track suits. What I discovered that I loved really was like the couture techniques, the fine materials, all, this luxury aspect. And then I never wore today as a fashion designer in my life and that Mm -hmm. might have been my very first pivot
1: how did you get caught up in the authentication space was it something in terms of education or certifications to sort of become this luxury goods master authenticator tell us about the credentials there
2: So that's the crazy thing of credentialing is that there really isn't. So I have trained and developed and mentored people to become expert authenticators with a myriad of different backgrounds. And I myself have schooled myself and taken so many courses and certifications in anything on the peripheral of authentication, whether it be art crimes and antiquities theft, whether it be uh, gemological studies and and learning about metal types, whether it be classes at auction houses or anything that can get me more information about the product that I'm inspecting, because really you have to be an expert of that product to know whether it's genuine or fake. So I was in a really opportune place to start doing this. I was working for a company called Bag, Borrow or Steal, which was like the precursor to Rent the Runway. It's a handbag rental company and they're still around. You can go rent a Judith Lieber for an evening out or something like that um, or what have you. And so I was surrounded by a warehouse full of gorgeous luxury authentic goods. And when we launched the buy sell trade lateral or category, that's really how we started authenticating we would take a piece that came in and we would go and compare it to like the 30 others that we had and that was the best school for authentication at the time people don't always have that luxury a lot of times especially with pandemic we're authenticating remotely via images but resale has grown so so much since i started 13 years ago that there is so much more information on the internet if you can use that information wisely and not trust everything you read, it can be a wonderful resource. So that's how I got started. I literally told my boss, I think I know how to authenticate. And they finally gave me a chance. Two years, maybe a year and a half later, I was the head of the Appraisals and Authentication Department. It really does take an attention to detail, a determination in your detective work and research, and uh, a little bit of chutzpah.
1: And here you are. <laughs> so, and I know we have so many amazing pivots to talk through, but before you started your own business, which we'll get into in a moment, you spent a good amount of time in the very early stages, more so at The RealReal, Real, helping them yes. to catapult that business into resale stratosphere. So can you talk about your time at The Real, Real and some exciting highlights about your position as chief authenticator? Because I know you're there for for many years, right?
2: Yeah. So that was wild. I started in the beginning of January of 2013, and I left in October of 2019. And I think I was employee 50. And when I left, there are 2,500 employees. We had a warehouse that was an office that was probably the size of my house now in Sausalito. Mm -hmm. And now they have close to a million square foot of warehousing and several floors of office buildings across the country. So it's major. And that was pretty amazing to really go into like a startup company mode where you're wearing many, many hats and just running around crazy and Working insane hours and then watching the company kind of double every single year and get more structure. So, first you're building the foundation and then you're building the strats and the structure of it. And then you're adding in more people. And as the company grows, you get to go from a generalist to a specialist. So, you really get to dial in on what like your true kind of calling is. But even within that organization, there were so many pivots. And so when we launched retail, spending six weeks in New York at a pop-up store and then spending six weeks in Vegas at a pop-up store and launching other categories like watches and jewelry. I literally educated myself through the GIA, the Gemological Institute of America, because I needed to... Be able to speak the language of the gemologists we were hiring, and kind of translate that back to normal English to work with our merchandising team and You're our like operations clarity team. Clarity
1: plus whatever.
2: Right, <laughs> God like, bless right, you. Yeah. like, yeah, DVS two. Yeah. Like, it's good. That right. just means it's good, <laughs> okay? Good <laughs> right, it, it's good. Just put it forward. You know, <laughs> yeah. So many idiosyncrasies there that you can spend forever on, and then working with different departments on kind of technological innovation was really awesome working with the university of arizona on this endowment to build technology to help authenticate fine jewelry was pretty great and there were too many wonderful experiences to go into detail but really some of um, the most talented and most kind of amazing friendships have come out of that period.
1: I bet we're going to dive into some more questions around that, but I'm going to put you on the spot with a yes or no question. And then we take a little bit of a quick break. So yes or no pivoting topics here. Do you think luxury brands can do better at training their teams on how to spot a counterfeit and also talk about the negative sides to purchasing counterfeit products?
2: The short one word answer is yes, yes, Okay. With a giant asterisk.
1: Ooh, okay. Well, we're <laughs> so we're going to get back just one to word that. And one yes, symbol. Asterisks. We will <laughs> take a quick break and pick this up when we get back. So, before the break, you said yes with a big asterisk. So, whose responsibility do you think it is to take a better stance on counterfeit product? Why does it hurt the industry? Is it getting better? How can we be better? Talk to us about your yes.
2: Right. So, the brands are really focused on counterfeit detection and stopping that at the manufacturing level, IP enforcement, right? Brands spend millions of dollars in research and development, designing, amazing product, just then have it stolen by counterfeiters. So that's really where their focus has been. And that's been like that since, well, I think Chanel filed one of the first IP lawsuits in the 1930s. So brands spend millions of dollars. I think Louis Vuitton employs 17 IP lawyers working on IP enforcement, right? But it wasn't until like the past five, 10 years with the birth and the growth of resale that brands now have to pivot and talk and acknowledge the resale industry. And let me tell you, 13 years ago when I started, brands would not acknowledge resale. I got letters from many companies saying only our employees know how to authenticate. But then if you go into a retail level, they don't know how to authenticate. That's not their job. Uh, Their jobs are salespeople and people managers and things like that. So there's one thing of like providing a General service, I suppose, and assisting people in their queries, but also we want to sell product as well. And you know, so many brands, all the tops would say, like, the only way to know it's real is to buy it from us directly. Like, okay, yeah, but it really right. there's, that there's, also, other it yeah. all, there's other ways, right? And it certainly behooves every single brand to have equity in the secondary market. If your bags are, or your jewelry is so collectible that someone can then sell it three, four years when it shows somewhere for 80% of what they purchased it for, that's amazing. You're never gonna get that with a car. No, you know? oh my god, you
1: drive a car up the lot and you're like, buy $10,000, Totally, right? The, uh, yeah,
2: you know? so fashion naturally depreciates, but the slower depreciation that you have makes a brand more valuable. I will not buy certain brands and I know many, many people who will not by certain brands because they're just not worth the money and when they're done with them they just have to be donated there's no equity left in them so you want people to want your products at full price and you want people to want to sell their products when they're done with them
1: right Um, so
2: that that means you have to acknowledge the resale industry and in some aspect participate
1: right that's such a good point as we pivot to some of your other career things being so passionate about that and brands I know you are on your own mission to start your businesses here and launching your own luxury appraisal company. So did you see a need or a white space in the market to bring a different offering and level of expertise you carry to all your different clients you're supporting now? Like, Talk to us a little bit about your inspiration behind starting your own business.
2: Sure. So let's talk about that white space first, I guess. I became an appraiser certified and a member of the Appraisal Association of America, which mean you have to follow all these codes of ethics, et cetera, and completed the USPAP, which form standards and practices of appraisal.
1: That sounds scary. So, something.
2: <laughs> uh, let me Google what it is, USPAP, because it's, okay, Uniform Standards of Professional Appraisal Practice, Ooh, and that's put mm-hmm. together by the Appraisal Foundation, which is a government agency, right? So when you're doing it's appraisals for, for IRS, yeah. for estates, for non-charitable or non-cash charitable donations, the IRS and the government really wants to know where this money is. So I did that, simply to learn the valuation process. And how that could benefit our business, the real real. And in my getting to know the organization, no one was doing luxury goods. There was hundreds, thousands of people appraising jewelry and some watches. But no one was doing clothing except for one gal out of Chicago. But she mainly does like vintage and antique or like colonial quilts or things like that. There was... Such a need that maybe consumers didn't realize, but to have the personal wearables, I like to call it clothing, shoes, accessories, jewelry, watches, handbags, etc., properly appraised and protected against any kind of loss. So that was the kind of white space in the market. Mm-hmm. I didn't really act on that immediately, but over time and through different speaking engagements and things like that, people started approaching me about. Working, you know, with them in a consulting basis for sometimes, like, government seizures. Oh, um, wow. Other times, yeah, posthumous yeah. estates and different collection management pieces, uh, as long well as that conservation. So appraisal and authentication kind of goes all into that estate and collection management.
1: So I'm going to bring you, what about storage wars? Can I like, get you? <laughs> storage gonna... wars? Well, you know, that's yeah. like, open the door. <laughs> You're like, what's behind it? I'll bring a Graham with me. <laughs> You never know what you can find. But that's so interesting. It's so interesting.
2: Yeah, there's always treasures out there. I was on a clubhouse the other day talking with vintage collectors and sellers and they are saying, Goodwill doesn't have anything good anymore. It's like... Check out goodwill.com, you guys. They've gotten savvy. They're smart. They're selling it all at auction on their right. own websites instead of yeah. just giving it away. Yeah. So more and more people are on to the treasure hunt. So that does make it a little bit more difficult to find those amazing things. But they're still there. There's plenty of great stuff.
1: What are some current projects you're working on now that you have your clients? And what are you being approached with? Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Sure. So I kind of have three angles. I kind of have my enterprise clients, which are like project bases are big multi-billion dollar companies who want to invest more in authentication. So it's all about developing policies and procedures and hiring for whatever their needs are. It could be pre-sale, post-sale. It could be part of like their review process of listings or their buying process. That's pretty cool because every client's different, right? Every ask Mm -hmm. is different. There's my like kind of straight authentication piecemeal which is mainly young kind of solopreneurs who are trying to start a resale business on some Mm -hmm. other platform and they need mentorship and coaching and help in what to buy is it real how much should i pay for it how much should i sell it So those clients are really fun because they're kind of the next generation. I'm working with this young couple right now in Milan, and they're starting a resale business. And they have big dreams and big hopes and great energy. So it kind of takes me back to like, you know, 2012 when I was interviewing with The Real Real world and talking about kind of what this world might have to offer. So it's cool to kind of be working on both sides at the very young startup age and then at the very established age as well and then kind of whatever comes my way working with different art advisors is (laughs) really cool i just had a great conversation with the art storage and clothing storage business how to protect garments and things like that again i never thought i would be where i was today 10 years ago so i really don't know where i'm going to be in 10 years i just want to have as many conversations with as many people and talk about what might lay ahead and let life take me where it's going to with the clients yeah. that it puts in, in front of me with the different projects that we work on. And I have faith that the future is bright.
1: You have such an incredible, unique talent and amazing energy and personality. And i just so love getting to know you and all the conversations we've had connecting. No doubt there's going to be some really cool things coming in your future. And at the heart of this podcast, I know a lot of our listeners are in luxury retail, a lot of people still looking to pivot For someone who may be in luxury or retail in general, wanting to pivot into something different, but still staying close to product and fashion, how could someone follow your path maybe to consider becoming an authenticator and what type of training would go into making sure someone new to the space would be credible? Do you think it's possible to make that pivot?
2: It's absolutely possible. I did it. I was in retail. I sold handbags. And then I moved on to customer service or e-commerce company and moved into merchandising. And then that's kind of where the ball started to really roll. But I've also, again, hired, trained, and mentored a lot of people, not just to become authenticators, but to become merchants, to become stylists, to become photo editors. All sorts of things whose background was in retail. It takes someone who is passionate about product, who, again, pays attention to the details, who knows the minutiae and the differences between this cashmere sweater and that cashmere sweater or this leather bag and that leather bag and taking all that product knowledge that when you do work retail, you're really privy to from the brands or from the company you're working for, retaining that, but also continuing to grow and develop on your own, looking at magazines, looking at runway shows, looking at blogs, looking at Instagram accounts and really kind of ingesting all of that. So then when an opportunity does come your way, you can say, hey, I may not have this exact background, but here are the skills that I possess that Mm -hmm. fill the, the holes in your ask. There's a lot of remote stuff right now, as I'm sure. So there's that and we're seeing a dissemination from the major hubs of New York, LA, San Francisco, to other cities. Chicago has a ton of great resale. We're seeing great kind of sneakers and streetwear come out of Detroit. Phoenix and Las Vegas are next. And Dallas, a lot of cities with emerging resale presence.
1: Seems like maybe a great space for someone to consider looking that has that passion, like you said, for luxury, for fashion, but to do something different. How do you see the resale industry evolving in the next few years? Do you think 2020 really pushed growth forward with many people trying to consign more than ever? Sell items they've been hanging on to? Or do you think it's been a steady climb? Where do you see it evolving?
2: It has been a steady climb. It's been a very steady climb for the past 10 years accelerated in the past five years. 2020 was a big catalyst, though. It converted a lot of people who had never considered resale before, or at least at the, like the high end, as opposed to like, the thrift end, right? Because anytime there is some economic uncertainty, people look at their possessions and the things around them to liquidate and to find cash on hand and equity in their products. So if you surround yourself by beautiful things that are worth money, let's call it what it is, you then have that opportunity if need be to liquidate it and to get equity out of it. If you are surrounded by $5 furniture, there's nothing you can sell. (laughs) and There's nothing sellable there. If your closet is all H&M and Topshop and Zara, there's nothing to sell there. So people dug into their closets and their crawl spaces and their attics and found these products that they were not using and they turned that into capital because again it's good to have cash on hand when there's kind of scary situations when you don't know if your store's gonna have toilet paper
1: right (laughs) i think so much of 2020 heightened our awareness in in a lot of ways and maybe over buying or shopping and then investing like really investing in some great bags like you said you can have around you that you can love and and use, and then maybe turn around and someone else can love and use them in the future. I really appreciate this industry and all you do. So tell me, what do you love most about what you do? A couple more questions here and I'm gonna let you on your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you love most about being in this space, authenticating, you have such a great energy?
2: I love the product so much. I, I respect the product, okay? And therefore that makes me an advocate for genuine products. It makes me really kind of hate counterfeiting and, and when people violate people's oh, intellectual so property right yeah. and it, it could be luxury it could be when someone steals lyrics for a song or when someone like steals a photo shoot like if you're not creative enough to come up with something unique on your own if you have to like steal something that someone's already did or poach it like that's just that's so poor good point amen yeah, <laughs> yeah. right ah. uh, you know the whole like fake it till you make it now please make something else yeah. and then There's a whole lot of kind of human rights issues when it comes to mass counterfeiting of fashion footwear and accessories. These are being made in sweatshops in really terrible conditions, and they're smuggling them into the country. It's the same kind of smuggling tactics that you would use for for drugs, firearms, or human trafficking. So it's just a fake handbag, but it also has tentacles that reach into more nefarious things. So Mm -hmm. when you have something so beautiful on one hand, and then it gets tainted by something so ugly... That's why I advocate for authenticity. That's why I advocate for resale because it's a great entry point for an aspirational shopper. Instead of buying that counterfeit Kate Spade on Canal Street, why don't you go to a vintage shop or a vintage website and you could probably find a Kate Spade for, I don't know, 50, 60 bucks, which is probably twice what the fake is, but the fake's only gonna last you a month and a half. Right, and, and the, and it's probably, the fake's
1: off. probably flammable, so watch oh, out, Of you know? course, yeah. But <laughs> like, no smoking packs. No smoking. Just, don't like put too much hairspray and light a match around that thing. It's gonna be a bad idea. Well, such a beautiful point to make.
2: This summer, I was lucky enough to appraise an entire collection of couture garments from a fashion designer and seeing these pieces with just the most amazing beading applique laser cutting just was insane right it's touching pieces of art that you can go on vogue.com and see them go down the runway but also sometimes it's more of like the stories and the situation than the piece itself i was at a customer's house and We'd done her closets and then we were kind of going through her garage because she thought she might have some things in there. And she pulls down this like dusty old Rubbermaid bin and not knowing what was inside of it. And inside her three brand new with tags, Chanel crocodile handbags no that sense. all have like, the price tags of like $35,000 <laughs> oh on God. them each. Oh. And she just brought them home from the store, said, I'll deal with them later, put them in a bin, put it up on a shelf in the garage, and then never forgot
1: remembered. about them. Just 10 years them. ago,
2: 100K of Chanel bags in wow. three bags. And just, oh yeah, I forgot I had these. So those are like pretty crazy things. So so there's the people who forget they have stuff and then there's the people who like know exactly what they have when they're crazy collectors. So so it's fun to kind of talk with those folks as well. But yeah, almost like the bag you have in front of you or the item you have in front of you is the thing you love the most because, I don't know, it should be. You're giving it the love and attention that it needs.
1: Oh, I know. And you take such good care of them. I know the Chanel that I heavily saved and invested for definitely sits in her little space and the nice bag wrap and box and out of sight from the sun. You got to take care of your things, just like anything in life.
2: Right. It's like, you know, (laughs) you, you take care of your skin right you wash your, your take skin. care of our hair you wash yeah. our face and mm-hmm. our hair right but that doesn't mean like we're not gonna have a cocktail or go get a suntan or put right. bleach in our hair and i feel the same way about clothing like you have to use it if it just sits yes. there as a no. trophy buy art then and hang it on your wall you collect sneakers but your sneakers have some scuffs on them. i'm like yeah because i wear them like right
1: well, you're proud you're excited to get them out you feel good yeah no yeah. I love your look putting together. Well, those are all great points. And to close up here, are you currently hiring for any of your clients, for someone interested in learning more about what you do? Is there a way they can connect with you? What's the best way for our listeners to potentially get in touch or follow you?
2: Sure. You can find me at Graham Wetzbarger on Instagram. You can find me at Graham Wetzbarger on LinkedIn. I'm Graham at luxury appraisals.com for email. LinkedIn is always a great place for professional networking. So I really, you know, Respect that avenue. Sometimes when people reach out to me on Instagram for professional things, they kind of get a little bit lost with all the scrolling, I guess. So LinkedIn is a really great place because I know exactly what that is. Hiring, if I find the right person, I can convince someone to hire them. (laughs) I am hiring for a couple of different positions right now, but some of them are geography-based. But there might be a couple of remote opportunities as well. But really, it's all about people who have passion, people who have product knowledge, and people who are willing and wanting to pivot.
1: Well, thank you for that. As I share a lot in the tips that I do after our podcast each week, I have the Megan Hull Method take away the week. It's like reach out, be genuine, network. You are such a a wonderful, kind, accessible gentleman. So I appreciate you sharing your information and, and potentially allowing people to connect with you on LinkedIn. And we'll link all the good ways that they can stay in touch. Thank you so much for sharing your career pivot story. And Your impressive time and experience in the luxury authentication market, what you're doing for so many brands and your clients is truly amazing. And we look forward to keeping our eye on you as you continue to grow your business and keep supporting you. Good luck with all you have going on.
2: Thank you, Megan, so much. It's been such a pleasure.
1: It is time for another Megan Hole Method takeaway of the week. This week, I want to talk all about showing off authentically in an interview to leave a positive lasting impression. We spoke about spotting fakes when it comes to luxury products in my conversation with Graham. And in this episode and in this instance, we can address the topic as it applies to the interview process. When you are not prepared, which therefore can lead to showing up not authentically interested during an interview, hiring managers can sense that pretty quickly. I'm going to give you my industry insider surefire way on how to nail an interview while highlighting the most important parts of your experience related to the opportunity you're interviewing for with genuine enthusiasm. Ready? Do your homework. Research who you're interviewing with and make sure it is a brand and a position that you have a general interest in and speak directly to your skills as it applies to what they're looking for to fill this role. Be the hiring solution by sharing the value and culture ad you can bring to the team. Don't just take an interview to practice or show up half-interested because you feel like there's something better out there for you. Every meeting is a chance to make and leave a lasting impression and you never know where a conversation can lead and in an industry where we are all connected somehow. If you bomb an interview because you just don't care or answer questions half-heartedly, not prepared to speak about yourself, your why and your accomplishments. You never know when that hiring manager may show up again someday may be as a deciding factor in an interview for a job you've dreamed about, and trust me, they will remember you, and you don't want it to be in a bad way. Bring yourself, your why, and your authentic nature to every interview, and I assure you, everyone will want you on their team. I hope you found this tip helpful, and stay tuned for more Megan Hull Method tips this season on Pivot with Purpose.
0: Pivot with Purpose, with host Megan Hull, is a fashion consort production and part of the FC Podcast Network. It is produced and directed by Phil, a.k.a. Corinne. And a special thank you to Spencer Powell for our theme music. Learn more at pivotwithpurposepodcast.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at PivotWithPurpose_Podcast. underscore podcast.